the meat of the podcast. <laughs> have you ever have you ever caught your have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? <laughs> This shit feel like I won't ever make it home Graphics back up, I got to get off of this road on the gas, I swear to God Hi, you're listening to She's in Russia. I'm Smith, and I live in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm Lily, and I live in St. Petersburg, Russia. On today's episode, our dear friend Grace has joined us. Yay, Grace. Grace <laughs> Grace is Grace is a... Oh, no, I don't know what to say. So many things. You no, you don't need to be like, she's a web developer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but should I just... I feel like we should... She's our dear friend and like shouldn't we say something and i have a brain so i have and she has a brain so okay yeah the three of us were friends in school we all lived together in the same house and college in college yeah we fused a lot of opinions so it's helpful for me to be a sounding board for your guys's dialogue yeah yeah i mean i think you're more than a sounding board it's not like me and lily and then we like throw ideas at you i think that yeah but i'm not in, on the russian research team you know what i mean well, okay i have yes. i yes. like i'm i more can like represent sort of like the normal american brainwashed opinion <laughs> <laughs> about Putin. it's important to know also like the three of us talk a lot and like we we have a group chat we have a group we have a group chat and we like when we're all in the same place we like talk about topics in this like kind of general genre right. and so we have a way of interacting that's like yeah specific to this type of conversation but grace where do you live i live in manhattan new york city Ooh. girl spicy such diversity and I think it's also important to note that like kind of leading up to all of, to the election and all the sort of like spiciness with our um, American relationships with Russia, I was like really conspiratorial this whole time. And um, wait, in what direction? What? Kind of anti-American. Like what? Like what are we oh, doing? Oh. Like what? Why are we like demonizing Russia? And like and was. I, I like to think that I was, like, formative, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. I feel like this This is actually a true thing that happens, which is, like, Grace will come up with an idea, like, whether it's, like, an idea for a project or just, like, an intellectual idea, and then, like, I go and repeat it to a lot of people. Because I think it's good. <laughs> so it's, it's entirely possible that, like, Grace has heavily influenced the way I think about a lot of things. Grace was like, you should do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Lily, do you want to do a podcast? <laughs> I think that happens for us in all directions. So. Yeah, and I I can't remember like I feel like I had had that thought the thought like how the podcast idea came about is very strange because at this point I I don't I can't actually remember when the thought came to me if it was before or whatever, but I do know that when I was home in January like which was high high frenzy time, inauguration, etc. We all had some I mean, Grace, you and I definitely had some like conversations about russia smith may or may not have been present <laughs> i think i was present but i think i was napping yeah i think so too. 
I wasn't happy. But in any case, we've all we were all kind of like, a, you know, I feel like recognizing what's going on. This like U.S. Russia tension. We were kind of trying to like articulate it together. That's Grace. So that's so that's Grace. Today's episode, we are going to talk about the Putin interviews that Oliver Stone did and very recently aired on Showtime. And it will be running in Russia, I think on like the big main news channels, state channels. So it aired in the US. I had to go through some finagling to watch it from here. Yeah, what do you have to do? I had to, in the end, I had to to get a VPN so that I could pretend to be in the US because, yeah, because, okay, so the first two episodes I watched on VK, which is like the big Russian, Russian uh, made social network, like Facebook. And they have a lot of like music and videos that people put on there, usually illegally, that are streaming. And the first two episodes were up there and then they got deleted because that happens a lot. Like as soon as they get noticed, they get deleted by whatever organizations. Then I like couldn't, it was weird because I couldn't find the other two episodes anywhere on my normal illegal streaming ways. And Showtime, yeah, it was like very, I I sent Smith a screenshot of what Showtime looks like when you try to go to that website from outside the US. It's like, you just go to like showtime.com and it's like, this website is only available inside the United States and its territories and possessions. Did it literally say possession? Literally. I'll, we'll, we'll put a screenshot somewhere <laughs> for people to see. So I got a US VPN and watched the last two. In any case, this four-part series was made between the years of 2015 and 2000 and, and now, 2017. So yeah, Oliver Stone, renowned director, filmmaker. What did he do before this? I've never heard of him before. Really? Snowden, number one? Oh. He has in the past done other like both fictional and documentary films about leaders. He's had a like I don't want to say anti-US, but you know, leaning towards that stance that he had in definitely had in, in the Putin interviews. He's 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 critical of the US. Always had that. Critical, yeah. But yeah, like JFK is a another big movie about like another leader movie. I feel like there's one more I definitely need to mention. Nixon, W. Oh. The Putin interviews fits in, fit into that uh, genre. For two years, different times, goes to meet Putin. And like they have these very intimate conversations that with sort of like unprecedented access to this world of Putin's everyday life. Yeah. And, and they're always in Russia. Sometimes they're in the Kremlin. I think in one episode they're in Sochi. And basically the setup is that Oliver Stone is speaking English and Putin is speaking Russian. And then there's an interpreter that sits next to Oliver Stone and like whispers in his ear or will translate to Putin if Putin like needs the translation but sometimes he just understands the english directly yeah which was really awesome because you got to see him react in real time to what yeah he was saying. yeah whereas i feel like there weren't that many close-ups of oliver's face like reacting to putin because well he's not like the subject but also because he was like waiting he's like a boy wonder translator yes exactly a boy wonder, boy wonder. it's kind of funny because you can hear his like when you do hear his voice it's sort of like a little bit monotone and formal and it just sort of changes the 
it just changes the tone of like what Putin's saying. So how do we want to start? I was I was kind of interested in like Lily, how you felt about like how in depth and like almost vulnerable like Putin made himself in the interview because that just struck me the whole time. Really, he seemed vulnerable. Well, yeah, like uh, like a lot of things that would happen to him or like a lot of situations that he would put himself in I couldn't imagine a US president putting himself in like he was driving the car like <laughs> Barack wouldn't drive a car he would sit in the back seat of the of a car while he was being driven yeah that's funny like not only just situations like that you know like playing sports but also like being going into intense detail on things that I would assume were, would be more like classified or he'd want to like keep kind of an air of mystery about the way he talked thought about them. But it was like complete. There was like a, this sense of vulnerability with transparency. I don't feel like he actually went into that much detail. I don't know. Maybe can you give me like a I felt like he did a lot of deflecting questions in this using I don't know if this came across in the English, but Putin speaks in a very like bureaucratic way. Like his sentences are complex and use kind of passive, long constructions. Probably didn't come off, did it? It seemed like he he was being careful, but I wasn't like, oh, this is some, this isn't like legalistic speak. You know, like it it felt like either he's like super trained at at filtering in real time or, uh, and and with like an air of, transparency or yeah I, I it didn't feel bureaucratic to me it just sounded like a smart person speaking yeah no he okay it is bureaucratic he is really intelligent and he sounds intelligent but also when he speaks there is a level of it's a way of deflecting by using kind of like passive constructions you know like this cannot be talked about more or like I mean, occasionally he, it's not like he said that a lot, like he didn't say that often that um, that specific phrase that like, this is something that we can't talk about because it's classified. But in general, his language was official sounding kind of. And in that sense, to me, it didn't, overall, I felt like he was extremely, extremely consistent, extremely, yeah, like collected. He is very smart and that came across and that's cool. But like, vulnerable i didn't get vulnerable because he just sort of like speaking the way he always speaks that that's that's how i felt so so when grace talks about like because i agree like the driving the car thing and then the like going and playing sports thing you don't see that as vulnerable you just see that as like sort of propaganda yeah like putin's known for promenading or at least showing his physicality, his love of sports, like also it's just one of it's just sort of like one of his things. And like I remember seeing an interview a long time ago, sort of like a on Russian TV that was like inside Putin's life kind of thing. And he took like he was in his house and he t- he took the the crew, the camera crew around and showed them like this is his personal gym where he works out. And of course, then he worked out like this. <laughs> this is I remember specifically that he like drank like a cup of raw eggs or something. It's important. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so he, that's I think, um, yeah, part of his thing. And like he. OK, so just a little comment on the on the sport part. I, I read a review in, I think it was Rolling Stone, kind of randomly, because they had a sort of, like, yelly piece about, like, WTF with the Putin interviews or some bullshit. 
the writer is very critical of, of Putin and the Putin interviews and very eyebrow raising. Rather, their eyebrows were very raised. Um, and like the writer of this Rolling Stone piece says something about um, the locations where it was shot. And this is like bizarrely shot in a hockey stadium. So from my perspective, I, I it's a little silly that he like plays hockey and they do this whole like sort of routine in the locker room and like pound and it's awkward. But yeah, yeah, but like what's missing from that Rolling Stone article's per- writer's like interpretation of that is that hockey is like a huge sport here. It's like a baseball stadium. It, it's it's not that. I mean, we do that with the president does like a pitch. It's a little bit less involved. He doesn't play the whole game. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't I wasn't like surprised by that. Like I thought it was sort of funny, but I also wasn't. I w- yeah, I wasn't thrown off by the fact that they were playing hockey. It's not like Right, like they're acting like the equivalent in the U.S. would be like, and then the president played curl, went curling for like an hour and a half. Right. It's like, it's like Obama plays basketball. He likes to play basketball. And and <laughs> Putin's judo thing, it was funny sort of how important that ended up being and like how much that came up. Because I wasn't like particularly aware of that before. I was aware he likes, he works out a lot. He drinks raw eggs. Yeah, he definitely wanted to talk about judo as like part of his identity. He was like, I do it every day for, yeah. since I was 13. And like, and they kind of try to insinuate that like some amount of judo ideology is seeped into his own, but like it, like it didn't go any farther than just like discipline or something. Yeah. Right, right. And then he has like the statue and you know, yeah. Yeah, that was cute. Oh my God, I loved that. When he was like, do you like it? And Oliver Stone had to be like, yeah, I like the statue. <laughs> Quick comment. So Oliver Stone is not, like, that much taller than Putin. Oh, what? That's confusing. I feel like that was what I saw visually, and I was surprised. They looked, like, of almost equal height when they were walking around, and I was like, what the hell? I wonder if they did something there. Okay, let's just look up Oliver Stone height, because these are the important questions. Everyone knows. <laughs> so for the record, Putin is very short. What is he, like, 5'6"? Five, five, I think he's 5'7". Five, 5'6", seven. Five, five, seven. Yeah, and I think that, like, kind of thinking about, because because he was, like, kind of along with me thinking about his vulnerability was that he his body was, like, central to the interview. Was He wasn't, like, a talking head. You know, he was, like, moving around sometimes. Like, when they were in the hockey stadium, he, like, like put his leg over the seats to get into the next row, and his leg is kind of short, so he'd kind of swing it. And just, like, so him, like, not being afraid to be, like, my, I have a body, and then I have a small body. I don't know. So- <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand what you mean there. Like most presidents like wear suits that are like pretty body hiding and you don't like, yeah, you don't like try to think about them in people in that way where they like take up physical space and are like tall or short or whatever. Right, They just right, are right. like as, as like generic as possible. Oliver Stone is six feet tall. He certainly, certainly looked like a similar height, like maybe a couple inches taller than Putin, but he's much taller than Putin. Okay, well, let, let me see. Let me see if I can pull up an image because I don't remember like noting that. I noted that like the whole time I was like, what the hell is Oliver Stone also a small man? Like it was just <laughs> because I know Medvedev and Putin are little, little men, but. 
Oh my god, they're so small. And they're both like kind of broad-shouldered small men. Barrel-chested. Barrel-chested. Well, they work out a lot. I mean, I'm looking at pictures of them together and like it's obvious that Oliver Stone is taller than him, but I'm trying to remember like the walking scenes. That was something I very much noticed. So I don't know why the hell, like maybe that's just the what the camera, I don't know if Oliver Stone decided to film it like that because that's, or if like Putin was like, can you please make it look like we're not like a million inches different? <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but it was notable. Okay, but we should move on because it's obviously not actually important. I mean, isn't Putin 5'7"? Five, five, yeah. And he looks like he's, you know, he looks at least 5'10", standing next, to, standing next to Stone, given that Stone is six feet. All right, I'm, I'm going to let it go. Maybe he was like, please bend your knees whenever we look for a walk. So ridiculous. I would love it if the camera panned down and, and Putin was wearing, like, <laughs> six-inch platforms. <laughs> so, okay, so we covered the fact that you, so you guys felt like he... He, Putin seemed vulnerable, but you also see how he was like totally in control, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. I I feel like the one like really, really obvious instance of that that I loved was when I think it was for the last episode, Oliver Stone wants them to like walk down this long hallway as if they're just meeting for like the first time in a long time. And so he like waves Putin back to the end of the hall, kind of around this corner where he can't see him. And then he like yells action and like Putin doesn't do anything. And he's like action. And Putin still doesn't like come walking down the hall. And then he like turns to the interpreter and he's like, can you tell him to go? And like the interpreter says like something like go or whatever in Russian. And then like you see Putin and he's just standing there and he like turns to the camera and winks. And I don't know if that was like just editing and like that didn't really happen in that sequence but I just liked that like Oliver Stone's just this like hyper masculine like sort of annoying domineering type I was sort of rooting for Putin in that context because I found Oliver Stone so irritating and so anytime that like Putin would needle him in small ways where it was like oh right this is an extremely powerful world leader I like really appreciated that yeah yeah yeah. I mean I think what's pissing off like the the American reviewers that I read, oh, it wasn't just American. I read some the Guardian, New York Times, and the Rolling Stone one I mentioned. I think what's pissing people off is that Putin is coming off as like too likable in this movie, or like you you want to root for him, or like what you mentioned, and that will not stand. That will not stand. Can't be liking him. Yeah, definitely felt dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely felt myself like automatically believing everything he said yeah. just naturally and then like having to be like, no, not true, not true, not true, like yeah. explicitly in my brain because he would like Oliver Stone would say like something and have sort of an annoying question. And then Putin would give this like very intelligent, reasonable response. And you would just be like, yeah, that seems yeah, that of course that's true. That seems right. Yeah. I mean, you can see how. Okay, so you can see that, like, Putin is very convincing in that way. Like, he's extremely calm, collected, professional, smart, has, like, a very kind of wide grasp of, like, history and remembers a lot of facts. And, and literature. <laughs> literature. Um, yeah, his liter his literature comment was definitely a, a win. What did he say? 
He said something about like French romanticism, right? Is that what you're talking about? They were talking about Gorbachev, who he seems to dislike for some reason. That wasn't clear to me. Putin does. And Oliver Stone was like, well, what do you think about Perestroika? And Putin was basically just being like, oh, well, that's not Gorbachev's idea. That was like, that was an idea of French. I'm forgetting the word for it, but like some sort of French theory on politics. And he was like, it's not new. Like somebody had to do it. He was basically just giving Gorbachev like no credit whatsoever. Um, he also talked about the Odyssey at one point because mm-hmm. um, apparently Sochi was like where Odysseus went and did something, but I don't remember what. Something had Golden Fleece. Golden Fleece. Yeah. I don't know if that was if that's actually true, though. I think he I think he had he's obviously like a re- well-read person. Before we'll get into sort of like conclusions and you know how the how the feeling in in the interview changes part by part because it definitely changes over the four parts or develops or something towards the end into something else. But like, I do think for me it is really really important that a mainstream audience sees Putin like this. Because the tendency, part of the tendency in the like hate Russia hysteria, current current media stance, um, it's definitely like Putin definitely represents that hateful Russia. Putin, this one human, and just like Trump represents so much hate towards towards a lot of things, but like we could say the conservative party right now, the Republican party. It's important that like people who hate Putin and Russia in a knee jerk very sort of ignorant way understand that he's a not only like a human that it's a complex human but he's like really smart because it's really important to understand that like it's like if you're playing whatever 10 dimensional chess yes exactly if if like (laughs) if politics is like some kind of game or something like putin is like a very good player formidable opponent he's really yeah he, he is and like that can maybe make him or his having sort of like a more this outlet via via Stone's documentary to like a, a wider American public where now people are going to see him, uh, you know, like seem be intelligent and funny and calm and professional, all this stuff. It's I mean, is that really dangerous? I mean, is that dangerous to just like accept that like people who do bad things can also be really smart? No, I'm, I'm saying that I think that his political opponents will see that as dangerous, you know, because he's so, he's so likable. And I mean, I, like, was so enchanted by his intelligence <laughs> precisely because I've almost forgotten what it feels like to, like, just hear a leader, like, complete sentences that, <laughs> <laughs> like don't have the same adjective in them like four times and make references to history, literature. It was just like, I felt myself like being like, wow, the the Russian people, like it's no wonder the Russian people feel like proud that this person like speaks for them. Yeah. It just like, and whenever like he would say something that I obviously super disagreed with, it was like a slap in the face. I was like, this person has like compartmentalized ideologies that like some of which I, I find like I agree with and then some of which I'm like that that's so horrible <laughs> misogyny is oh oh my god yes is a disease <laughs> oh my god. I forgot about just the horrible series of things that they said about women 
the two of them together are like a horrible boys club. It's really gross. Oh my god, it's so bad. And the poor interpreter is just in the back, like, <laughs> he's just like, yeah, cycles. <laughs> <laughs> there was literally a, a point where he was, where Putin said something like, when they were talking about Trump, where he was like, you know, we're we're, we're big boys, like, we yeah, got this. But but the way he was, the way he was, I'm. This is not like a game changer, but that's that was a false translation like oh he said we're he said we're grown-ups he said grown people but maybe i think is the reason then for the big boys thing it's like i the way i interpreted that was not like oh we're in a boys club but like trump we're big boys like it's time to grow up and do your job like that sort of thing yeah i mean when you say we're grown-ups when you're talking about you and another grown-up infantilizing we got to do this together but yeah no so it has the same effect he he also like referred to trump as quote-unquote grasping concepts which i thought was funny <laughs> if he could grasp the concept i mean if anything i yeah i yeah yeah trump is just gonna be like s- such a bad match for him it's so scary oh my god it's ridiculous i the other thing that like really struck me was like and this is probably the case with almost all world leaders except for trump i think at this point is that like they have an extremely like complex and like maybe not comprehensive but like v- relatively complete model of the world you know like they understand all like the key players and how it affects them and what's going on within those key countries and I think especially with America because America is you know so influence influential worldwide it's like they have their own strategies for like interacting with America and that obviously that's something like I could have known just by thinking about but hearing Putin talk about it and how like outwardly focused he was it just like made me re-realize that that like so much of being a leader of a country is not actually like internal leading but external leading and that's like really fucking terrifying that we have this big boy as our as our leader who has to go and interact with with Putin who like reads things and understand how understands how the world works I mean uh yeah it's like we have no hope basically <laughs> no hope Wait, Grace, oh, Grace, I want to go back to something Grace said before. You you were like, oh, I was like really enchanted by him. And then he would say like kind of horrible things. So like the misogyny thing was one thing. So the the things that are coming to my mind is is that like joke he made where like basically Oliver Stone referred to him having bad days and Putin's like, I don't have bad days. I'm not a woman. And then they all like laugh together in this really horrible way. And then I can't, I can't think of other examples. The homophobic uh, locker room, like I do judo and I wouldn't go in a shower with a gay man. That one. Oh, what was, what was the word he used? Like, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't provoke him. Nobody wants your 5'7 body anyway. <laughs> well, meat barrel. <laughs> Damn. I mean, yeah, that was, that's a horrible thing to say. And I feel like the, the sort of the theme of these fucked up things that Putin said was that like Stone would like kind of. Actually, he didn't provoke the woman comment, but the gay comment, he asked directly about that. But then he wouldn't really push back. And so, yeah, like overall, Stone definitely like people would critique are critiquing him for not kind of like pushing more on the problematic opinions that Putin has, which is true. I, I don't know, actually, if I agree with that. He pushed. He definitely pushed on some things. I liked when he asked, so why'd you hack the election or something? <laughs> he's like so we why hack it 
That was funny. Yeah, he pushed. He pushed on hacking, right? He pushed on hacking. He pushed. He pushed on hack the gay stuff. Definitely, he pushed on Russia's interaction with Ukraine. Definitely, I don't. I don't think that he was like namby pamby about it. I just. Okay, actually, okay, I take that back. He, he, it's not that he was light about it. It's that Putin is so good at sounding reasonable and, like, rational and calm that this isn't Stone's fault, but basically he's just able to, like, deflect those kinds of questions really, really well. And, like, even if we, we feel charmed by him and he, he seems likable, like, we, sh- we shall not forget... That there are real, like, serious, he, he really, under his rule, like, there are, what do you call that? Humanitarian. Violations? Violations, yeah, like, big ones within the country. So, when when I think about Putin and, and what's bad about Putin, is it's what's going on in Russia. It's not, um, it, it's hard for me to feel, like, angry and fired up about, like, claims that, that, Putin, that government under Putin has engaged in cyber warfare because that is obvious. Like all governments are doing that, or all the ones that can that have the technology to do that. Right? Isn't that obvious? I mean, are we agreed? International community, global white girls. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Maybe not cyber warfare, but like spying using high technology. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, there's difference. There's differences in spying using computers and strategically hacking elections in order to have a certain person inaugurated yeah and i feel like if anything he kind of he really played down like their their involvement with both surveillance and like spying on other countries like especially in relationship to the u.s like he was kind of just like he acted like it was a moral issue that russia doesn't see that see the same way as the u.s yeah no, no, he definitely, like, takes a position of having a moral high ground, but I, I don't believe him to that extent at all. Like, I don't believe that the Russian government is not, for example, mass collecting on its own citizens. But he was so straightforward about that. He was like, I can say absolutely that we are not doing I mean, may- maybe not, but, like, also he could easily be lying. And But then when they talk about spying, that's kind of a funny moment because when they talk about spying b- between countries... Like, Stone says, you must be spying. He says, like, to Putin, he says, like, this is when Putin's driving. And Stone says, you must be spying on them, like the U.S., because they're definitely spying on you. And, like, Putin <laughs> Putin ignores the, the accusation that he's... He doesn't answer the part about, you must be spying on them. He just answers, he goes, I'm not against the U.S. spying on us. <laughs> That's what he says. And it's just, like... I, that's his, that's his like one of his positions kind of is that and what he says sort of in the, in the last episode is just that like we're not doing anything wrong like it's not that big a deal I don't know he he plays things down a lot are you um saying like that way of answering is a signal that like he, like I agree with you he's in charge of the interviews totally but like is that an example of one of the things that signals that he's in charge that he ignored part of the question yeah I'm just trying to, like, I think we should like, be giving more examples because if people haven't watched this, they're really not going to be able to follow. Yeah, that, that would be a good example of him being very in control. Like, when, when Stone, like, when they go into the horse stable, sorry, this is off topic, but, like, Stone acts, like, all knowledgeable about horse speech. He's like, is that a thoroughbred? Oh, God, it's so annoying. Hilarious.
god. And like Putin's like talking serious baby talk. I don't know if they translated that. Did they? Yeah. Yeah, they did. He was like, come here, my little brother. Yeah, he's like, hey, boo. <laughs> hey, boo. <laughs> baby. Okay, where were we? We were talking about uh, spying, surveillance, Putin being in control. But his human rights violations are... So, okay, so let's use the example of the conversation in the hockey stadium where he talks about um, gay propaganda law, right? A- Anti-gay, I don't know what they call it. Um, are you, you guys are, I mean, I guess you got from, from that interview what that is, or you knew already? No. You should explain, though, regardless. Yeah. It's illegal to publicly express that you're homosexual or basically oriented sexually oriented in any way that is not heteronormative okay so examples of that would be like posting things on facebook or like wearing t-shirts that like proclaim your sexual orientation or anything like that are they talking about like widespread advertising campaigns um i i think it probably applies at like every level but it definitely the effects that it has in real life are that like if you're for example if you want to take part in like a march for lgbtq etc um rights like you know you have a rainbow banner or whatever you're just in a march you can be potentially arrested definitely harassed uh people who are basically people who commit hate crimes that are specifically motivated like by anti like homophobic hate crimes are often not convicted, you know, that kind of thing. It's basically just like, so a public display could be, could be a march. Uh, it could be, I guess it could be like, uh, like making out in public with your partner of the same sex. Classic makeup. But I'm not sure that mm-hmm. like, I don't actually know. I don't know if people would actually be arrested for that, but I think that if um, I certainly don't see people, I don't see people of the same sex making out in public a lot. I mean, sometimes you see people like holding hands, but it's like public display of affection, definitely not very common. Whereas public, whereas hetero public display of affection is super common. Like even more than the U.S. It's weird because when I first moved here, I would have said definitely, like, I remember that being a thing where I I felt like PDA was, like, really prevalent, like, in the metro, but recently I I feel like (laughs) I either got used to it or it's, like, been less. I don't know. It's weird. Um, Yeah, so when Putin... Okay, so we're in the hockey stadium and Stone asked Putin, like, about this law because this is something really important to people in the West... Um, this really important point about Russia and about human rights violations is how Russia, uh, Russia's stance on non-heteronormative people. And Putin really deflects that question by just being like, we're totally fine, you know, like, again, like behind closed doors. We're totally fine with what people do in their own homes. Just like, so don't expose it to our children. And so that's what part of this law is like, it's, I I sort of said expressions in general, but it's about exposure to minors. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which felt really weird because he was like making it, he was making like relationships between same sex people seem like 
like a sexualized thing instead of just like a way of love, like uh, uh, instead of like romantic love. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's possible that he doesn't believe that you can be romantically in love with somebody of the same gender. I mean, it sounds a lot like a more old fashioned stance that people have had and continue to have in the U.S. Um, Like, yeah, where it's like hypersexualized in people's imagination and indecent in some way. And remember, like, so Putin is very openly uh, traditionally traditional value oriented, like so intensely. And that's when he explains the so-called gay propaganda law or whatever, anti-gay propaganda law. He says, like, the reason we want to keep our children, he says something like, you, we want our kids to be able to grow up. Our kids will be more free if they grow up in like a quote unquote normal, like heteronormative family. They'll have more freedom of choice to become whoever they want to be- become. It's such, it's a very bizarre argument. Basically, he's saying like, oh, well, heterosexuality is like the norm. It's like, n- it's a nothing concept. And therefore, like, they won't be influenced at all. And then they'll get to decide when they come of age what they want to be. Right. But w- two things I want to say. The first was that the whole like child argument reminded me of, remember that there's like, a thing in the Argonauts where she's talking about the children, capital T, capital C, and like how much she hates the children um, (laughs) because they're used in this way, which is like to pass like, I mean, she was probably talking about in different contexts, but pass hateful legislation with the rationale that it harms the children. And pretty much like any argument can be ended by just saying like, oh, the children are harmed by this, therefore Mm -hmm. we can't do it. But the other thing I wanted to talk about was Oliver Stone is talking about um, adoption and he's like, surely there are, oh, because one of Poon's other arguments is that like, oh, the traditional family is important for making Russian babies. Um, And Oliver Stone makes argument like, well, sure, but there are plenty of like Russian children without parents who could be adopted by uh, same sex couples. And Putin's like, yeah, I mean, that's good. But the last like line, I think, in that discussion is, but the Russian people would never support it. And I think, and, and they think he ends it by saying something like, I think he's like, but in, in the end, I think it's better for a child to have like a mom and a dad and traditional, like, I think he, he goes back to that model. Yeah. For, for me, it felt like really, even though it also, there was like ringing of uh, some sort of excuse of like, save the children, or this is about us, like, caring about children first, but just some sort of like moralistic stance, it felt like it was really wrapped up in sovereignty. So like as a leader of his nation, he is very interested in like families and like families following some sort of like, you know, traditional methodology to continue just being nuclear and supporting the Russian state so that they could, so that the state could be powerful. Like it really felt like, it was tied up into other things he was saying about asserting Russia's sovereignty. Yeah. I mean, the other night, like that recent post, I, I posted on Instagram from our Instagram the other night on TV, Putin was uh, doing his what's called his like direct line where he get takes calls from regular people and answers them on TV. And he was just spent a bunch of time talking about babies russian babies basically he was like speaking with a doctor 
in in Ufa. Smith, remember what that is? Yeah, I remember. Tavlatov's birthplace. Um, <laughs> and basically, like, yeah, they were just sort of these three men. It was very funny. Like the two, the guy interviewing was a man, the doctor was a man, and Putin's a man. We're all just like kind of like seriously and soberly talking about how great it is that the birth rates are going up, and you know we need to make it. We need to make society like a welcoming place for for women to want to have more babies basically <laughs> we still have work to do because we need more babies um and and when and in the interviews when stone mentions something about i don't know why they're talking about birth but oh he's talking about the muslim population or the non-ethnic russian population in general of russia of the russian federation and Putin's like, well, yeah, we've been fixing those numbers lately or something. <laughs> like the ethnic population's been been getting a little bit better, like rising. Yeah, he has a kind of very, um, yeah, it's like a goal-oriented, rational view of heteronormative family values. Kind of going back to what Grace said, like they gain their sovereignty from there being like this family structure that produces more Russians. That doesn't... I don't know. That like doesn't seem like something that America does. And maybe that's just because we like have enough people. Yeah, well, our sovereignty isn't threatened. Like we're more interested in like, like some sort of humanitarian ideology that gets to like, go into other countries and then assert that ideology there. So it's like, we're more interested in equal rights, because that it, our next frontier is some sort of like, imperialism through staging these coups. So do you think then that like the approach of like, oh, just like making ourselves a sovereign nation through population growth is simply like, well, you it'll be harder to like kill us off if there's more of us. Yeah, but like uh, more. More abstract than that, like more like it'll be harder to kill our ideology if we like know who we are. We know that we're having. I don't know. We know that we're having these babies that are, like, immersed in Russian ideology. Okay. So Russian ideology gains strength through there being more people that believe in the Russian ideology. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, first of all, Russia, Russian Federation is, uh, is still ethnically diverse, as Putin points out. There's, there's a bunch of, like, smaller republics within within the Russian Federation. But I just want to make a side note that, first of all, you, I feel like we're forgetting or like ignoring the fact that there's a huge percentage of the American population that is very pro-heteronormative family values, number one, and, and like white supremacy and having making sure that population stays up. So that that is a real thing in our country. But, 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 but Lily, that's about, that's about racial supremacy. That's not about... Uh, national sovereignty that's literally just like a numbers game like we want as many white people as possible be voting but how like first of all like wait i don't see how that's that different from wanting like more ethnic russians i don't even think necessarily he was saying like well maybe that's like what his angle is is more ethnic russians but he's like He's talking about it from like the perspective of of like a political party and being the leader of a of a political state that has to interact with other states in the in the world. Like white nationalists are more just like 
I think a lot of them have a a very like simplistic view of just like oh well if we have more babies then when the like race war comes we'll be good i mean it's not just white supremacists the whole conservative party is like in favor of heteronormative family values so yeah but but heteronormative family values don't necessarily translate to population growth the conservative party has like a real documented concrete history of trying to get people to get married and have babies younger and more it's not like an abstract thing i mean I, I agree with you but that's not a very strong narrative today that's not something that like leader it's not like you don't hear like the leader of the majority get up and say like women should be having more babies or like etc like there's more Right. Okay. So it's not op- it's not openly happening now, but like I think that it's, it's one of those I- I- more invisible issues in American society that liberals, people who would be horrified by it, these things, um, just don't know about. Like for example, like the access uh, for um, <clears throat> like the availability of permanent sterilization, or what do you call that when you get your tubes tied? Is it's like much more available for low income. So it's usually people of color, women of color. Uh, it's encouraged and available and more difficult for white women. It's like a insane thing that exists in the US. I'm not arguing that there's not really intense white supremacy in the systems in our country. I think we can all agree with that across the board. But like Grace is making this point that the heteronormative family is used as a form of sovereignty in Russia as like a way of building up a certain Russian ideology versus in America, our like current ideological front is not like building a population of pro-Americans. It's like building ideological practices that allow us to undermine other governments. But is that, is that like the, what's the goal? The goal for America is overall domination? Grace? Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah, he kind of talked about if if not world domination, then just kind of like finding yourself in, the, in this spot with like creating NATO out of this, this historical necessity of the time to, you know, end communism, which was like to end the other opposing alternate ideology to cap to capitalism or whatever. And then after uh, the Cold War ended, like, there's this need to find some sort of adversary to create chaos. And I feel I feel like that's kind of like a pretty accepted, at least liberal idea that, that you know, it's not necessarily that we're, like, looking for world domination as it is that we have found ourselves super muddled with controlling, controlling the narrative around how, how we need to be super invested in other people's humanitarian effort. And do you think that's like a genuine thing? Like, oh, we actually just care about humanity and like it's important that we have influence or is there like an alternative motive? Like, is it really like wealth seeking or power seeking, resource seeking? I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's hard because I love Obama and he <laughs> it seemed like he really bought into it, you know, like as as an optimist. Yeah, very romantic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's- and and there and there is something to to be said about like kind of seeing 
other countries struggle with seeing like women as people and homosexuals as people and like being like well what what can we do but but when you're like presented with all these concrete ideas about or concrete facts about how we go in and destabilize countries and and then we support authoritarian regimes rising there afterwards it's like it doesn't seem to match with these like moralistic goals of making sure that like humanitarian ideals spread globally yeah i mean totally i I mean and i 100 percent agree with you that like our um ostensibly our ideology is is very like abstract idealistic and um kind of imperialistic in the sense that we think it's important that this exists not just in our own territory the u.s but like everywhere um and that we're like the watchdogs of the world but um okay i i see what you're saying and i i guess like i was just it, it just made me uncomfortable the way the conversation was going where like we were talking about conservative family values and putin's just putin's way of talking about them is different for sure than like our politicians u.s politicians way of talking about it in 2017 but it's i just wanted to point out that like there's all this shit happening that continues to happen in the u.s that's like that has like sort of similar goals yeah and it's kind of entered into power recently like it used to be like a populist thing but now it's like that's the current reigning yeah well yeah that i feel like the the most sympathetic i feel to putin is when he is just pointing out that horrible habit the u.s has of going in and destabilizing other countries our, li- our tick a little tick we just got this little mm, just a little itch yeah he was super detailed about a bunch of different facts about us meddling in all these different scenarios and that was part of the vulnerability that i kind of was was thinking about like i can't imagine obama just like talking super openly like facts like straightforward facts about like the way that we operate in other countries like that but you but putin was speaking about the way the u.s operates right right yeah i guess he wasn't talking i mean he was talking about russia's role but i don't know his, his critique just felt like it had more information than we get from our own media mm, definitely yeah i mean he said something like it feels like the U.S. just doesn't really know what's going on in those countries when they interfere. And he was saying that in direct reference to U.S. government or government-backed interference into Russian elections and, and political affairs. Um, but his but he made that statement that could be applied to Ukraine, it could be applied to the U.S. in any country, which is that like it really does feel... Like, our leaders do not know what the fuck they're talking about. And they, like, back people and change who they back and back the wrong people and make horrible humanitarian choices or horrible choices in terms of in terms of human rights. I feel like a good example of that was with hypernormalization, which is, like, we're talking about, for the record, hypernormalization is this documentary about uh, by Adam Curtis, but... He, you know, he's talking about the U.S.'s relationship with Gaddafi, who's like in power for however many years of time. And just how like we go to like polar opposites with how we treat this one person and how we talk about this one person. The third way. The third way. The third way, yeah. <laughs> uh, but 
Putin, like along those lines, Lily, that you're talking about, where he's like, they don't know what they're talking, what they're, they don't know what's going on in those countries. Like he also like straightforwardly kind of accused the U.S. of not being strategic in the long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was super interesting. I felt like him kind of kept repeating like these like uh, period spans. Like he'd be like, no one is thinking 25, 50 years down the line. I was like, is that how long you plan on being in power? (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be like decrepit. No, he's going to be like, he's going to, there's going to be like a a immortality pill. He's just going to still rule. My God. (laughs) My horses keep me alive. Okay, at one point he also, so he says this like future oriented kind of thing about how like the U.S. is just concerned with their, you know, in the moment intra-political fights and little petty bullshit. But like he's thinking down the line, 50 years. And he also says maybe more than once that like we all need a paradigm shift. Like the whole world needs to shift out of this very outdated World War II era sort of division of the states and the way power is managed that NATO represents. And like, it's time for a new paradigm. And and then that's like, I just feel like, how can you not agree with that? I know it sounds really simplistic, but God damn it. Like, he's like, we need to get out of this paradigm where the US just like, continue. everyone has to basically figure out what the US or like get help from the US if they need help. But like, then they don't actually want help because the U.S. fucks everything up more and it's just a horrible cycle. What does he keeps using to describe American allies? He keeps using the word vassal. What does that mean? Is that like a religious term? Oh, my God. Vassal. OK, vassal is like a medieval servant. It's like a hilarious term. That he oh, <laughs> vassal. We don't want to be a vassal. I mean, it's it's a feudal like it's like a a person who was basically a surf okay yeah he he used that term in the term reproachment and i was like how is he using that it's confusing reproachment yeah like beyond wait what is yeah what does that mean actually it says an establishment or resumption of harmonious relations he also uses partner a lot partner yeah our part our american partner (laughs) because they just love business over there in america (laughs) We can be partners. I mean, so when I when I mentioned that Putin's really consistent, I mean, like, he so consistently references the U.S. and Western powers as, yeah, partners, something diplomatic. He very often says, we want to negotiate. We're open to a dialogue. Uh, we've tried to negotiate with the U.S. and they've turned us down. Like, you know, like, if you believe him, it really does make the U.S., look shitty yeah i mean i don't know if i believe him or not that's one thing i was thinking about it's like okay let's just assume that putin's lying for for some things right like he might be even flat out lying when it comes to things like are you spying on your people he's just saying like no absolutely not and that's not true so like it's really hard to keep track of a lot of different lies and if he's like a leader presumably he presumably he's speaking a lot etc etc so like he must have he has like one mental model that's the truth that helps him to like strategize and like make the correct decisions. And then he has this other mental model that's like the truth mixed with the lies he has to tell in order to strategize about the first model. And he just has to have both those representations in his mind so that like when somebody asks him a question, he just always says the right answer. That's intense. 
You would have to keep like a diary. That's why it feels like, oh, he has to be really, really smart because he just has to like understand exactly how to lie in a way that's consistent and strategic. I think that a lot of high up politicians who are public facing have to do that anyway. It's kind of default because like you have classified information. Yeah. What you say to the public is just a version of reality. <laughs> well, right. But I would say I would say that about like any world leader. And I think it's particularly true in the case of Putin because he is more like uh, I think we can agree that the Russian government historically has been more manipulative with reality than other countries have been. Right. Than the U.S.? I don't know. Yeah, I think in some ways, I mean, we talk about like, you know, this head of propaganda who would like literally organize rallies for the opposition in order to like confuse you as to what is reality and what isn't. Yeah, the the, the Brechtian guy. Yeah, yeah, that guy. It's amazing. But I do think that Trump struggles with that. Like he doesn't have the two mental models. His like mental model is just like stimulus and reaction. Yeah, he gets confused, I think, a lot. But it somehow doesn't matter <laughs> to people. It doesn't matter? Yeah. He just can, like, contradict himself. And it's sort of been a problem, but he's still floating. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out that you can't get impeached for literally just having no idea what you're doing. Or <laughs> saying. That that's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? All this time. We could have just not known anything. It would have been. I also want to say that even if Putin, for example, is lying about how many times he's tried to negotiate with the U.S. and how many times he's been turned down and how open he is to dialogue, you know, like, let's let's imagine that he's 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 bending the truth on that. And like what goes down with his actual communications looks really different with his communication, like with Obama, for example. But even so, like, even if that's extremely calculated, like he still gets kudos for having his public stance towards the U.S. and and the NATO people and all U.S. allies in the West be so polite and, like, so... It's condescending, but he just doesn't stoop. He really... He just doesn't do the bullshit that U.S. politicians do to him. He really doesn't. You think Obama said stuff about him that he shouldn't have? Obama personally... Yeah, I mean, if you're, that's his, you know, the equivalent. Yeah, but like. He told him to cut it out. Cut it out. But Hillary, you know, like Hillary. Not only Hillary, like, okay, let's, like McCain in the end of the documentary. Oh my God. Ugh. <laughs> Wait, isn't like at one point Biden speaks and then Obama speaks? Oh, they speak about at a time and place we will respond appropriately very recently about the hacking oh that's right and then but putin's like but you're going out of office so like it doesn't mean anything i that wait lily this was actually something i wanted to ask you about i really liked that like i don't know if i agree with him or not but i really liked that line when he was talking about um obama giving biden the presidential medal of honor or whatever and being like yeah that reminded me of the soviet union era when the like all the commanders were just like giving each other awards what era was that in that that he's referring to like was it right before the fall of the soviet union like was it at a critical time or he was just being like yeah whenever like people internally give themselves awards it like doesn't mean anything 
Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think the video he showed I thought was Brezhnev, so the 80s. Was it not? The 80s. I mean, I think that was the video footage that was showed. I think we'll have to go back and look. But I think he's probably, like, making a general jab um, at, like, a, a corrupt system where everyone's patting each other on the back all the time. Right. <laughs> but that was that was an insane moment because, so, okay, that was insane because the Russian public is going to watch this. And they're going to see that. And they probably didn't know that Obama gave Biden this medal. And they're going to be like, uh-huh. Oh, like, what, like, you know, corrupt little decorating, whatever you call, back patters. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. There's a word for that. Um, and circle jerk. I don't know. Circle jerk, yeah. Self-aggrandizing. That's a better word. Self-aggrandizing sounds a little more educated. Circle jerk, though, is an amazing phrase. It is. Yeah. Because it, it has, like, an amazing visual. Yes. And it's, and it's male. Because it is. And it's male. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, like, circle rub. No. <laughs> circle finger. <laughs> circle pussy rub. <laughs> well, because we, we wouldn't be able to do that standing up. Like, it would have to be, like, a laying down circle. <laughs> with, not- like, with, like, pillows to prop yourself up. <laughs> you could be, like, you could be, wait. Each person could be, like, encircling the other person with their legs somehow. Sitting. Mm. Would that work? But then someone would be reaching behind and doing... <laughs> <laughs> we'll work out the geometry later and get back to you. <laughs> okay, so... Also, like, women... There aren't enough women in power at once for this to be relevant. Oh, <laughs> to yeah. circle room. Um, <laughs> the Russian public is going to see that moment in Stone's documentary... Um, and is going to dismiss it, basically, because Putin is dismissing it and, like, making fun of it. And that was a very emotional moment. I mean, mm-hmm. that was, for like, I, I'm pretty sure I teared up watching that. I think I teared up also. And Biden really? teared up. Yeah, Biden tears up and they're like brothers, you know? And you're like, oh, I love it. Yeah. We love them. <laughs> In case you haven't realized. I liked how, um, so Putin was not, is not only sort of polite and diplomatic in general about his Western partners. Um, he specifically said a couple of things about Obama that I really appreciated. Like, he definitely respects Obama. Mm-hmm. A thinking man. I loved that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, he says, like, for example, about Guantanamo, that Obama, he said in Russian, he said he wanted and wants to close Guantanamo. And in the translation, they just said he wanted. He also twice mentions the kind of intensity of the American of the bureaucracy in the American political system. So he's like, Obama might have wanted that, but he couldn't. Yeah, I found his acknowledgement that the American bureaucracy is very strong, like very comforting in these specific times. Because Trump can't do too much? Right, like he was also saying it in the context of that. He was like, you know, like nothing changes because the American bureaucracy is too strong. Right, and he, he means, like, it's important to note that he means nothing changes on the international arena because he don't care what happens in the country and there was like a lot of interesting resonances whenever he would talk about like how he was confident that you know every nothing changes between presidents because like in the back of all our minds we're like kind of watching him for any slip-ups about like if he would be if he would enjoy something like influencing the election or if, or, you know, if he has any sort of proclivities in that direction. So like whenever he, 
whenever he would state that it wasn't possible, it was like this double-edged sword. Like, is he, does he believe that? Or is he trying to assure us that he, that's like, would be a fatalistic goal for Russia to try to interfere? Because, you know, it's absurd. It's some sort of like grand American narrative. That is a good parallel. Are you saying like, is he trying to reassure us that our American narrative is reality? No, that he couldn't have influenced the election anyway. Yeah, like trying to trying to point out that it's absurd. That's a good parallel, though. You just made a parallel between him saying the government itself is so bureaucratic that any given individual president doesn't actually have that much power within it, at least on the international arena, and the parallel and the parallel to uh, our democratic voting process, which he also says, like, how could I have influenced that, little me? Little old me, I don't have enough money. He keeps being like, I'm so poor. <laughs> One thing I just wanted to know if we're, if we're okay with the movie away from this is the, so there's this scene where Oliver Stone is like, we must watch Dr. Strangelove. Oh my God. It's, it's like embarrassing to even think about it. But then the next scene is them watching. So him and the interpreter and Putin watching Dr. Strangelove together. He's just doing that thing that you do when you show somebody a movie you really like where he like, keeps looking over at Putin to like see if he's enjoying himself yeah and then so they finish watching it I guess they watch the whole thing which like embarrasses me the thought that he like made a world leader sit through a movie presumably like Putin agreed to watch it um and then they like talk about it a little bit after but like Putin seems like pretty unenthused by it and then they give him the DVD case and like they're leaving so like Putin walks out and then he like turns around at the last second and he opens it and the DVD case is empty there's no DVD in there and he just goes like oh typical American gift <laughs> and then like some aide like runs over with the DVD like on his finger through like the little hole in the center <laughs> which the whole thing is just like so absurd but also very entertaining I love that part yeah that was amazing he kept talking about how he, like, doesn't have enough time. Like, he's like, I don't get to play with my grandkids. Like, I don't have any time. And then, like, Oliver Stone just makes him watch this whole stupid movie. <laughs> I know. Wait, Grace, this is one thing I asked Lily, but did you catch this that a few times it sounded like uh, Stone called Putin Dimitri? Did you hear yeah, that? Yeah, but I was like, oh, but he's talking about someone else. He, uh, uh, Smith, I... I'm pretty sure at the end, he's not looking at Putin. He's looking at another guy. He's like, thank you, Dimitri. It's probably like an aide. Because I also freaked out. It felt like it happened a few times and he was kind of looking at Putin. I was confused. Because Dimitri is the name of the Russian uh, leader in Dr. Strangelove, which would be really embarrassing if that was what was going on. I wouldn't put it past him. I feel like that would be a moment of like senility rather than like him making an inside joke humor yeah if he's calling if he's calling putin dimitri that's just like a a, a serious senile moment <laughs> like it's not cool <laughs> it's not funny it's not okay but i think he's talking to an aide i'm just gonna pray for him he seemed pretty put together in like every <laughs> other sense he not like not the most interesting questions sorry mr stone but like didn't he ask like did you do you like your grandkids or something it's like what the fuck <laughs> I fucking like, like to be fair that's a good question of Putin who's like not really <laughs> they're kind of dirty um I did I did like how he asked um this is definitely like human intrigue or whatever but I, I liked how he asked Putin what he and Brock call each other they call each other by their first name that was cute yeah I was just thinking about that yeah he was like Brock and Vladimir 
like kind of like musing at how beautiful their two names were side by side. Ugh, Donald. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> His whole name is horrible. <laughs> Wait, I want to say something about the the grand. Oh, the thing, the little tit, little note about Putin's grandkids, um, is that yeah, like. Putin is notoriously very, very private about his private life, his family life, his personal life. And I'm pretty sure, like, had never mentioned having grandkids until th- this year. That's weird. So that was a big deal. Stone just got it all out of him. I'm just sad that, like, Oliver Stone was the one to interview him. Like, there are so many better people to do interviews. Like Megan Kelly? Yeah, like Megyn Kelly. Like Poitras. That would be cool. Yeah. Does she do like... Yes. I don't know, but does she do like on-air interviews? On-air. That wasn't on-air. Does she do? Yes. (laughs) Okay, okay. That's not the right word. Does she do... (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, everybody. Does she do interviews where she's like a character in the interview? I've never seen that. I think she did in the um in the the film that's in the trilogy, the nine eleven trilogy, that's about oh, okay. Bin Laden's um, former chauffeur and his brother in law, bodyguard. I'm pretty sure like there are some scenes where she her voice is asking him questions. Well, her voice, but not her as a person. Like I don't, I also don't think that Putin would trust Laura Poitras because she a woman. No, because she's too um... indie. Yeah, yeah. Not mainstream ideologically? Indie ideological. Oliver Stone obviously, like, has an obsession with, like, powerful male figures. Yeah, but he's also, he's also, like, on the conspiracy sort of, like, not mainstream political bent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he's definitely not as alt as Laura Poitras. Thank goodness he hasn't made a documentary about, like, chemtrails or something. (laughs) Wait, Grace, what is the, why? Because, like, he does have that conspiracy theory flavor, and it's just good that he, like, kind of keeps it along more normative lines. Just, like, conspiracies about, like, the abuse of power instead of yeah lizard people stuff. Wait, why is the lizard people thing, like, is that becoming really big right now? Why do you say that? <laughs> Wait, what, what are those people called again? Lizard people. No, no, no. The word, that you, Gracie, what did you say? Chemtrails. No, chemtrails is different, but it's like same flavor. It's it's this idea that like the little lines that airplanes leave, like little trails of smoke that they leave when they're flying or like um, some sort of air pollution that the government is um, dispersing over the entire oh. rest. And it, it's like melting our brains or, you know, like. I just thought it was funny. That, okay. Because, okay. So lizard people aren't that, but. The lizard people were in a recent ad for like a big um, online bank here. <laughs> I was like, "What?" Um, lizard people need bank accounts too. <laughs> They're people too, just partially lizard. Like Geico flavor? Like what? No, it was funny. It's it's a funny video. It's like not Geico flavor. Um, Geico is funny. Yeah, but Geico's more like, I'm a cheery little lizard who's going to tell you about the product. That's not really what they are. No, you're behind. What? The lizard is over. What is it now? Now it's like, you could save 15 minutes or more with Geico. And then there's like some... It's not a lizard? It's not It's not that fun. It's really not funny. It's just like... It's a gecko. No, there's no... 
is our audience riveted yet or <laughs> are you kidding me <laughs> what is the gecko guy if it's not a lizard it's not there's no avatar yes there is they still use the gecko okay but maybe at the end he doesn't do like a whole spiel he's just like a logo now they can't tout him out all the time. They got to get creative. It's their advertising campaign. Whatever. Yeah. He gets tired. He has to rest. <laughs> I think you're being a little harsh on him. He's still there. But actually, uh, th- he's been a huge success for Geico because, like, unlike Progressive with Flo, like, they don't have to continue to pay the Geico more and more money because their entire brand is based on his image because it's just simulation. Whereas, like, Flo is rolling at it because you get to make all these demands. (sighs) American car insurance. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So just to, just as a a follow up to like talking about what other people could have done this other than stone. Yeah. Like I feel like a big part of how this interview worked was that they were both comfortable in their normative maleness and they were just like, you know, it's just comfortable. Like we shake hands and we have serious talks and sometimes we joke and sometimes we pound, you know, fist pound, fist pound, fist bump. We pound. We just really give it to each other in the locker room. Yeah. And it, it was kind of like as much as Putin would talk about like, oh, the U.S. like so convenient that they find this common enemy. Like they got to they got to kind of revel in the fact that they're common social enemy or like adversaries like women so they got to just use women as like a foil for like whatever clever thing that they whatever clever ideas i got to talk about yeah hillary the neoconservative yeah which is not untrue plus i mean i don't think they were like hating on women openly it was just a sort of general the sort of like the way maleness can be like the invisible normal it made the whole interview like possible i feel like it was funny when they like kissed on the cheek at the end though that was all stone he was like this is how russians do it right (laughs) the other uh like female comment that i remember specifically was there was the parade what was that parade for was it the victory day victory day parade and they had the women's battalion in it and oliver stone like in this really like conspiratorial way wait is that what i'm trying to say yeah condescending what? No, like better size. No, no, but like conspiratorial with Putin was like the women's battalion was was fun, or I liked the women's battalion, and Putin like in that case did not reciprocate the like male yeah. thing. He was just like, yes, this is the first year they have participated. To his credit, he did not get into like a boys' club moment there. That was like so. Stone was like about to start something really gross. I like those yeah. women. <laughs> March. I like those women. <laughs> Also, his wife was there the whole time. Present in the room the whole time? Oh, weird. In a lot of it, yeah. I kind of, I actually want to kind of go back and talk, you're talking about like this, uh, what what was the word you used? Like this silent normal or like... Invisible. Invisible normative. Um, I agree with that on the male front, but I would say that there was like a very specific and awkward dynamic between the two of them that was distracting Mm. from the conversation itself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, small things like the fact that Stone wouldn't address Putin, but he would address the interpreter, that really bothered me. So annoying. So annoying. It's like, why didn't... The interpreter should just be like, you can just talk directly to him, but I know their job is to, like, be quiet or whatever. (laughs) And then there were just, like, other things where, like, Stone would, like, mess up facts 
or like laugh in this like really like he just seemed uncomfortable way. Yeah, no, there was an awkwardness. Him him addressing Putin in the third person was fucked. I don't know what that was. I've seen people do that with interpreters because they just like don't know how to just like talk they feel uncomfortable talking directly to a person in a language they don't understand. It's just messed up, though, because Putin does understand a lot. And he's, like, saying he, which sounds rude, and he's speaking... It's just so weird to hear someone talk about the president of a country as he when they're right there. Yes. It threw me off at first. I was like, who is he talking about? But, Grace, you were gonna, you were gonna say something. I was just gonna say that there were moments of, like, intense... Into, or they just everything seemed to be getting along with them very well like they, they got along well. like the moment where uh putin like acknowledged that he enjoyed talking to him and he like let out like this this laugh and was like i just i really enjoy talking to you and it was a sincere moment i felt like oh i thought he was mocking him oh really yeah because he asked that question like oh why didn't you just talk why didn't you just tell the Erdogan, the president of Turkey, that like terrorists are bringing in oil to your country. And then he laughed for like a real Putin laughed for like a really long time. And I thought that he was saying like, oh, you like naive, naive boy. Like, it's so nice to talk to somebody who's like so fresh faced. No, I think it was sincere and a little condescending, which is Putin's like main modus operandi. Like he's really good at that. Like he he was sincerely saying like, this is fun, but also being like, ha ha, you idiot. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I love talking to a good idiot. Smart idiot. My favorite. <laughs> Smart idiot. I, I am really curious, like, does he dread talking to Trump or does he, like, find it fun or is he just like, this guy's such a fucking idiot. I can't even bother. Like, he's having to do, like, international politics 101 with Trump, which is also scary that a foreign leader is the one that's educating our leader seems bad yeah. oh another fun another funny line that i loved was when they're in putin's one of his like houses or whatever and he's like showing all his different offices and stone is like what what do you think about when you're walking the corridors at night and Putin's like i don't walk the corridors at night. <laughs> <laughs> he also asked how do they heat this place and putin was like that's too hard of a question i can't answer that I'm slightly concerned that, like, people who listen to this podcast, if there are any people, hello? <laughs> um, well, Grace is our one listener, and now we've eliminated our audience. <laughs> We're slowly <laughs> enfolding the audience into the content. I'll definitely listen to this episode. <laughs> I don't want people to listen to this and be like, oh, Putin's a good guy. I love him. It's a little, I'm scared of that. How do you guys feel about that? Like, if we've communicated well that he's not a good guy? I hope we've communicated that he can be very charming and he is very intelligent, but that, like... He might be a monster. Not a monster, but I think... You could just read the Human Rights Watch reports or whatever you want to read to, like, figure out wherever you want to get your information from. But, but yeah, it's just... I feel like this movie is just, like, it really does show him in a good light. And I think that's kind of nice to provide a balance since he's only been shown in a really, really limited bad light before that to to the West. Um, We we still have to be real. For people who have taken some sort of interest or sympathetic interest in Putin before and watched speeches and stuff um, and come to their own conclusions about like uh, Howie's more nuanced character, 
like this goes another step beyond because we get full access to him talking to an American and answering to like very American questions. So it, it definitely takes the sympathy up to a whole nother level. But of course we are already have all this other information about uh, stuff that is problematic. I feel like a tension. That's what I mean. I feel like conflicted about sort of about how I feel about the film. The charisma of very powerful leaders is it's an important factor, like a really important factor. And it, and it can be very powerful. Yeah, it's almost like us to Putin, like us finding a pull factor there is like some sort of like populist identities pull to Trump. Like we can't empathize with that at all. And maybe conservatives wouldn't be able to like watch this and feel it's 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 more about like how you identify and how you the sort of modes of conversation you like to have maybe or like the types of relationality right because we're relating to his like critique of capitalism and like specifically america's behavior internationally all right let's do our propaganda alert So Grace, Propaganda Hour is this thing where we like find a small thing that on its face doesn't appear to be propaganda, but it's like usually cheeky, you know? So it's a New Yorker cartoon and it's an image of Trump sitting in the Oval Office at his desk, you know, tweeting away at his phone. Um, And then behind him are these cartoon characters called Boris and Natasha, and they were characters that were invented during the Cold War and were in um, this cartoon, Rocking and Bullwinkle, which is like the moose and the squirrel. And then there are these international Russian villains named Boris and Natasha. And then, okay, so there's this image. Trump is at his desk. Boris and Natasha are behind him looking, you know, like international villains do, all like nefarious and stuff. And they're really like cartoonized, as would be expected. Like Boris has this like little mustache and like big eyes and dark eyebrows and this like little like villain hat. Um, And Natasha is like tall and is wearing a strapless dress and like just has like high arching eyebrows and looks like... um, Maleficent or whatever. Um, and then and then underneath the image, it says them, tell them is fake news, work of moose and squirrel. <laughs> Your Russian accent's getting better. Um, and, this, and this image, I think this came out in like February or March or something in the New York, in the New Yorker. So, okay. So the Rocky and Bullwinkle show, which these two cartoon characters are from, it it was made, it originally aired in 1959. Very important. Like, height, you know, Cold War time. So, like, and you said international, but they are specifically, those two characters, specifically Soviet spy agent characters. Um, their names are, like, Russian-esque. Russian, Boris and Natasha. To me, the, this little cartoon with, like, the little caption and everything, it's just super simple. Yeah, formulaic. Like the formula being, we think Russia, the Russian government hacked our election or is influencing Trump, and we just directly equate contemporary Russian government with this like Soviet Cold War era spy character, which is like one of the one of the only images that the American imagination has of Russians. Like one of the main images is like spy agent. 
I don't think it's saying like, oh, I like I don't think the cartoonist is personally saying like, oh, I'm using this as a representation of um like the Russian government. I think they're specifically taking these Cold War cartoon characters and like repurposing them or not even repurposing them, just like transplanting them to now. So like I think part of what this is saying is like, oh, we're experiencing Cold War rhetoric now in the same way that we did when Boris and Natasha were invented. We are experiencing it as people? Yeah, like the world is experiencing it. Like we're having this little Cold War revival that we keep referencing. And so by using images that are like, the images themselves, even if you don't know who the characters are, the images themselves look like cartoon characters from Mm -hmm. a long time ago. Wait, so do you think, are you saying that the, that Pat Burns, author of this um, cartoon, is making a critique of the Cold War II? No, I don't think that he's, is it a man or a woman, Pat Burns? Uh, I think it's a man. Um, yeah, he a man. I don't know if he's making a critique of, of this perception of Cold War II, but I don't think he's like straight up equating, you know, Soviet spies with the Russian government today. I think he's using them to reference the fact that we're experiencing symptoms of the Cold War again. I, but that's not to, uh, that's not excusing it. I still do think it's like dangerous. And again, he's sort of doing this thing. Like if you are younger, you might not know who these characters are. And at first glance, you would just like, you're just being like refed this image that was originally invented during the actual cold war right so like if you don't know who boris and natasha are and it like doesn't strike you as obvious that these characters are from a long time ago then he's just like re pushing this image of russia as soviet spies still so i saw this image and i didn't know that those were for sure cartoon characters from a specific show i had a feeling but like had to google it and like their image just the image of them um, the caricature, m- like combined with the obviously like r- Russian accented English text, is enough kind of. And it's a little bizarre to reference moose and squirrel because you don't know who those are. Those are other characters, but like most people probably aren't going to go Google that. <laughs> most people aren't going to go Google that. But I, I, arguably, a large percentage of the readership of of the New Yorker would understand this comic and I think again it's one of those things where if you do understand it without having to google you feel special and in the know yeah and it's also like the cold war car the car that you that's comfortable to drive you're like oh I know this car so like cold war car mixed with nostalgia for a cheap insider laugh but the thing that pisses me off the most is like the comments on the new yorker cartoon instagram where where this is was posted um are like yeah very self-congratulatory and also just like think that this image is like brilliant and clever and like deep and i just don't what the fuck like yeah gracie what what do you think i agree i didn't even know that those characters were russian i just thought it was like a I, like yeah i didn't it didn't, that didn't strike me i didn't even really want to pay attention to the comic <laughs> enough to to think about it because i just thought it i just thought it was like some sort of like even more simplistic than you guys anything had to be like some hilarious thing about fake news and how trump 
is a simple person. So wait, so when you first looked at it, it didn't occur to you that those those two characters are necessarily Russian? Wait, Grace, if you had if you had read that line though, did you read the line? I did read the line, but I think that um I didn't pick up on the Russian accentedness because um I don't know, maybe a combination of like me being like okay, this is Moose and Squirrel, it's a specific comic. I don't really understand. I don't really like remember hmm. any I like I thought it was Canadian, oh. you know. Um and and I, you know, that sort of thing that can happen psychologically when you read sentences and you, you just kind of make them more correct than they are grammatically so that you can get through <laughs> So that you can emotionally handle the sentence. <laughs> it's dangerous on the one hand, just because it is a stance that is like ignorant and limited. So just if you care about having like a more accurate, nuanced view of the world, then uh you shouldn't you shouldn't just perpetuate like really really basic stereotypes that have no dimensions and almost at this point that stereo that like the Boris and Natasha stereotype almost feels to me like what's it? xenophobic or something yeah so ignorant xenophobic yeah and then the like more sort of violent oriented danger i think i don't know i can't necessarily articulate it right now but it's what Glenn Greenwald wrote about in his article criticizing um, criticizing an article in The New Yorker the relationship between this type of ignorant, knee-jerk, hateful rhetoric, the relationship between that rhetoric and actual real violence in a cold or hot way. Well, it's like the slow dehumanization of another country, which, al- which allows you to be more violent towards them. A body update, anybody? Does Grace know what that is? Do you know what a body is? I, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you guys always, like, will say something revealing about what's going on with you. You want to talk about your vagina on an international podcast? International. <laughs> I mean, I have a very obvious thing. Smith has yeah. pink, pink eye. eye. <laughs> yeah, so I have pink eye. I've had pink eye since, like... <laughs> Tuesday, I'm taking antibiotic drops that are taking that they go in my eyeball. Poor thing. I think it's I think it's getting a little bit better. How do you think you got it? I don't know. I feel like either the Airbnb people gave it to me. Remember how I was like, remember how before I knew it was pink eye grace, we were talking about it, and I was like, well, the only things that are different is that I slept without a pillowcase, and then I said some other thing that I can't remember. But I do feel like it's possible it's on my pillow. Did you wash your pillow? No, but so I gross. washed my pillowcases. And yeah, now I just have to like wait it out. But it like really fucking sucks. And is it worse to have pink eye or um, a yeast infection? It depends the severity of the yeast infection, I think. Also, the yeast infection arguably can be nice because you take a pill and it goes away pretty much immediately. Uh, and not so with the pink. Not so with I feel like Smith, yeah, as I said to you in text form, you've been you've been kind of like your body's been like attacking you since you moved to New York a little bit. Yes, it's true. I was I was thinking in my brain what has happened when I first got here, I got a cold sore. <laughs> and then 
I got a yeast infection, like a really <laughs> intense one. And then I got my IUD. So I was a little like, oh, for a little bit. Then I got another yeast infection. Then I got a UTI. Oh my God. And now I have pink eye. Insane. They're literally, I don't, there's maybe been like a total of a week where I've been like. And you've only lived there for a few months. Yeah, that, that's, that's nuts. I was like having some sort of weird considerations on my body, like specifically when Putin was talking about how like, he is so fit and that he's so rigorous and in how he always is paying attention to his body's fitness. And I was just like, Oh shit. Like, like why do I let weeks pass where I just like literally sit at a a desk all day and let my butt get fat. So Putin's inspiring your, like (laughs) your fitness, like self care. Putin should make a workout video. Oh, please. (laughs) Putin's workout plan. That's also like really like fascisty of him. Not sorry to drop that little bomb at the end. <laughs> Just like obsession with health and and fitness. But that also feels like the whole new man thing. Also, is that fascist? Being a new man definitely has strains. Yeah, it's good to be checked on that. I was gonna exercise, but then I realized it was a fascist activity. <laughs> uh. that's the episode thanks for listening our theme music is shit happens by tiara whack follow us on social media on twitter and instagram at she's in russia and subscribe download and rate us on itunes thank you I just want to say that it's a huge dream to be on a podcast that has been tailored for me so specifically. <laughs> and and I, I, I love you guys. Thanks, Tracy. Yeah. Mm-hmm.